Just a heads up, today's episode mentions suicide. If you or someone you know needs help, visit 988lifeline.org or call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. In February of 2020, I was driving a rental car along the coast of California. A videographer for the Post was in the backseat, and Sinead O'Connor was next to me, riding shotgun. She was rolling a joint. I've served it, so for f**k's sake, don't let it fall. Okay, I'm holding it, okay? Yeah. I was working on a profile about her, and she decided to ride with me between gigs, rather than fly with her band. It's not like we were close. I think it was so she could smoke. Sinead loved to smoke and swear. And I should warn you now, you're going to hear a lot of beeps in this episode. When do you have to give this car back? Uh, tonight. Oh, really? You're giving it back tonight? I don't know why I thought you were going back to somewhere in it. No, I, uh... It's going to be a cleaning fee, which I'll pay. We'll see. Maybe not. No, but the smell of cigarettes and weed will be in it. Uh, That's L.A. From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Friday, August 18th. I'm National Arts reporter Jeff Edgers. Just as I was about to start my stint as a guest host for this podcast last month, Sinead O'Connor died. It was July 26th. I didn't write anything about it at first. I didn't want to. I was crushed. But a couple days after her death... I wrote about that road trip and the time that I spent with her in Ireland while I was working on the profile. In the last few weeks, I've seen the usual stories come out about her, about the controversies she ignited and her underappreciated song catalog. But I've had this feeling that a lot of people, both fans and critics, still don't understand what it's like to be Sinead, to travel through this world with the sensitivity of a true artist, while also knowing they... The paparazzi, the doubters, the people who you forget are always paying attention, would be watching. So today, I want you to hear what it was like to be Sinead, in her own words. In the wake of her death, I've gone through this tape from my time with her back in 2020. She always knew I was rolling. And I still can't believe how willing she was to share her thoughts and emotions, no matter how raw. That's why I want to share it with you now, even the hard parts the parts where she was most vulnerable, and the parts where I struggled as a writer to know just how best to do that justice. So you can hear how deeply Sinead lived this life and how hard she tried. We talked for hours, backstage, in her home, on the road. You're born Catholic. Yeah. And you are not uh, a follower of the Catholic Church. No longer I am. I was growing up very strictly. And then I wasn't. But you broke that off a long time ago. I broke that off the second I ripped up the Pope. Yeah. That was the end of that. That happened in 1992. She ripped up a photo of Pope John Paul II during a performance on Saturday Night Live. Fight the real enemy. That's when she really became a household name. Now, if you came of age in the late 80s or early 90s, Sinead was already a legend. She was a brilliant songwriter. She really changed how we viewed women in the music world, and she became a model for a new wave of artists. People like Fiona Apple, Alanis Morissette, and even Phoebe Bridgers. When I first reached out to her people a few years back, I knew Sinead's personal life hadn't been easy. Her mother, who was deeply religious, abused her. 
She also publicly struggled with mental health. She tweeted in 2012 that she was unwell and in danger. But by 2020, she was moving forward in her life. The tour I followed her on was proof of that. You can hear Jackie much more than you can hear Phil. Okay. Which I know is good, obviously, but... Shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> Why don't you shut it for me? <laughs> and that's why I was so eager to write about her at that moment. It was her first time on the road in years, and I was curious about how she sounded. I also wanted to know where she'd been. On that ride down the California coast, we talked about her mental health struggles, difficult things, a six-year recovery from a radical hysterectomy, having her ovaries removed to relieve the pain of chronic endometriosis. The procedure had pushed her into premature menopause. That's why I came to America for two years to get treatment, but even they didn't click. I suppose they just thought I was a which is true also. There's no smoke without fire. We listened to blues and yoga chants on the radio. I let her control it. And she signed onto my phone to show me songs by the filthy country music parodist, Wheeler Walker Jr. I don't know what the hell that chorus was, but it had a lot in it, right? Yeah. We even stopped at an In-N-Out burger. It's a California road trip staple, but, you know, this was not normal. Sinead insisted. She'd never been there before. And just to kind of picture this, she's sitting there in her job. A few years back, she'd converted to Islam. She's eating a burger and vanilla shake. And I'm thinking about all the times she was chased down by those paparazzi. And we're just sitting there, and nobody seems to notice. Most people knocking around wouldn't know of me. You know what I mean? Hey, it was all a long, long time ago. Hey, you're not famous anymore. It was a very long time ago. Yeah. You know I mean? Sinead's personal life was not neat. She wrote about it in her memoir. Here's a quote from that. I have four children by four different fathers, only one of whom I married. And I married three other men, none of whom were the fathers of my children. As we drove, our conversation centered on her son, Shane, a teenager. He'd been fighting depression most of his life. He was in an adolescent inpatient unit at the moment. Poor kid. Yeah. Poor thing, because it's frightening, you know. It's not nice being in hospital at first. It's depressing and scary. Must be terrifying. Yeah. She called her son at the hospital while we drove. Hi, it's Shane's mum. Is, is, um, is he having his dinner or is he able to talk? I could tell it was stressful. She was trying to relaunch her career, stick with her tour, but she felt guilty okay. about not being home for Shane. Well, all right, cool. I'll call back in a bit. Sinead had kept putting out albums, but after her peak in the 90s, her sales dropped. She hadn't toured for four years, a result of her physical and mental health issues. She wanted to get back and told me about recording a new album. And I don't want to sound cliche about this, but music really did seem to heal her, even if the challenges in her life returned almost as soon as she stepped away from the mic. She'd be quick to tell you she didn't give a hoot, my word, of course, about how people perceived her. 
Then the next moment, she'd be scrolling through the anonymous comments posted on a story to see what each and every person thought. Hello, good evening. Hello. Hello. I, I was mesmerized when I saw her perform that February. There were the songs that were new to me. And then just the way she delivered her classic material. The Last Day of Our Acquaintance, a breakup song which is like no other, or Black Boys on Mopeds, her take on police brutality. Margaret Thatcher on TV Shocked by the dance that took place in Beijing Those gigs were a reminder that Sinead, the artist, hadn't disappeared. We just stopped paying attention. I was too free If that's possible to be. She really came to life during her shows. They were packed, even if the venues were smaller than she'd played in the past. That's the thing about live performance, I guess. It's fun, but it's something... The word that always comes to my mind is fire. I don't know how to explain that, but there's something about people who come alive when they're performing, that there's something akin to fire. You know the way people often describe art as fire? Hmm. That essence, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it feels like. I, I would be lying if I said I'm not someone who is carrying a lot of pain, you know, as well as a lot of joy. So I don't want to make out like, you know, be, being well and managing your condition doesn't mean that you're not going to feel like sometimes. It just means that when you feel like you can still get up and get on with your life. Mm. You know? Thinking about Sinead O'Connor now, I don't know how to do justice to her legacy. How would she want to be remembered? Even when she was alive, it was hard to know what she wanted. My relationship with her was supposed to be professional and brief. I was an arts writer publishing a profile about her. Yet it was never that simple. After getting to know Sinead in California, I asked to visit her in Ireland. I wanted to see her on her home turf. We'll be right back. Sinead was living in a resort town called Bray near Dublin. Her home was a converted bed and breakfast. It was bare, but had this glassed-in porch that faced the sea. We sat there a lot. She could smoke there without bothering her oldest son, who was visiting with his family. I noticed there weren't any awards on display. She told me she didn't think she ever claimed her Grammy statuette and she didn't know what happened to her MTV awards. There were times when I'd be sitting there on that porch, and I felt like she was really letting me in. But then something would come up that upset her, and everything would just turn without warning. I'll tell you about a breakfast we had on that trip. So I'm sorry, you were... I was saying, what I'm trying to say is I've done my time. We were at a restaurant near her house. It was my second day in Bray. Throughout the course of interviewing, we were digging up a lot of painful memories. 
Usually she brought them up. Sometimes I did. We were talking about the Pope photo or her mother's mistreatment of her, and it seemed okay. And then it wasn't. She'd feel overwhelmed, wishing she'd never revealed anything. She wanted to clear the air about her past, but it was also triggering. It's very depressing, to be fair. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you, uh, but you I'd, also, I'd also caution, I can understand why you would think that the fact we're talking about a subject means it's going to loom large in something because you've been treated a certain way over years. Yeah, it's the but fact I would, that we've talked about it for like 90% of the interview. I don't think we have. You know what I mean? And that's what you seem to be getting at most. And you don't realize that's hurt me actually to have it all dug up. I have to, I'm depressed digging it up. It's depressing. Well, it took me a lot. I've done my time. I did four years, nearly five years in a fucking nut house. But you're a different I person now from. Dragged up for me the entire time. It's actually traumatizing. Yeah. I want to go to work. If anything out of this piece, I want to go to work without having to deal with this ever again. Yeah. Any other reporter ever meeting me can just Google your fing article and every other article and do whatever they like. I'm trying to get on with my life, which is difficult enough. You know? I don't want this raised at me all the time. It took a lot to recover. Yeah. You know. Well, and it takes a lot to be the person given all the blame. And I'm trying to focus on music. I'm trying to be a different person. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was nothing wrong with the person I was. There was nothing wrong with the person I was, except that person wasn't able to cope with the abuse that that person was subjected to. Then Sinead looked down and started buttering her toast. The reason I asked you about things that were in the past is because the way things are reported is without a kind of thought of everybody involved and what was going on exactly. And all this stuff about being misunderstood is important, I think. By that, I want to be crystal clear. Sinead had called out the Catholic Church for abusing children. She was spot on. Really one of the first celebrities to do it. And she was savaged for it. By the church, by tough-talking dudes like Joe Pesci and Frank Sinatra, and by the public. It had to hurt. I wasn't misunderstood. I was deliberately misrepresented because I was dangerous. Right. I wasn't misunderstood. I was very clearly understood. Yeah. Well, that was the problem, as far as the media were concerned. And I just think musicians that musicians is very dangerous people. Who is musicians? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that I, I'm sorry to make this traumatizing. I was, no, I, I don't always know what things will be upsetting about someone's, about your past, no, you, know? Just, you know. And I don't want you to feel like you're, in the mud with things that are not part of your life anymore. No, it's you know. Just yeah. Nobody wants to talk about it. I just let other people talk about it. It's bullshit anyway, you know what I mean? It should be about music, really. It's not just you. It's f***ing years of it. <sighs> right. But your musical process, which I've asked about, I keep going back to because I always think, how does someone 
like you, someone who's special, figure out how to get this stuff down. It's so completely, first of all, it's very internal. This is something that's in your head. You work out on your own. You're inspired to create it. It's like a superpower that we don't understand, right? And it's really easy to write a song. Kids can do it. But to write a great song, right? We talked a little more about music, but honestly, for most of breakfast, I fumbled through. I wanted to let Sinead know I wasn't here to repeat the same unfair coverage she'd faced in the past. I wanted to show how she was misunderstood and why people should pay attention to her work again. Yeah, thanks. Can I have another uh, cup of coffee? Yeah, I'd love one too. Two coffees? Yeah, yeah no problem. After another coffee, I ended up rambling about manual typewriters, about how I love to write thank you notes on them. And suddenly we were back on track. Sinead wanted one. I love them. What, what kind do you want? I don't know. You know? I'll show you a couple different. Yeah. All right? So these are, these are like old, you know. See, they're beautiful American ones. Like, and they have little see, glass I panels. I've never seen anything like that. They have little life. glass panels on the side. So that's that kind. Eventually I flew home. The reporting didn't end, though. We kept talking on the phone. I'd get yelled at when she didn't like the subject or even sometimes when she was just having a bad day. And I'd take a breath and wait for it to pass. Because it always did. Sometimes within minutes I'd get a text. I don't really hate you, dingbat. Dingbat! Okay, I can work with that. Most subjects beg for a professional portrait. Sinead cussed at me for asking. She eventually agreed to be photographed, but with a request. I want a huge favor in return. Washington Post has to buy me a typewriter and a whole f ton of spare ribbons. I didn't buy Sinead a typewriter, but in Dublin, I bought her a record. She didn't have her music collection with her at her house in Bray, and she missed it, though it was never really clear what had become of it. But I found a clean copy of Slow Train Coming, Bob Dylan's first Christian album. The spiritual nature of that record captured her as a child. For a time, she told me, she was even daydreaming that Bob Dylan was her real father. Sinead remembered that gift more than a year later when I interviewed her about her memoir, Rememberings, on Washington Post Live, a video interview series The Post does. Just picture it, she's sitting there in her Black Lives Matter t-shirt, cigarette in hand. He's talking about human rights, the power of music, and her plan for a new album. And she asked publicly if I could get her some more records. I need some vinyls, guys, everybody out there. So send them to Jeff and I'll get them to him. If you send me a record, I'll be really happy because I just got a record player and I've got hardly any records. The packages began to land on my front porch. Strangers from across the country sent Jimmy Cliff, the police, Blondie, Loretta Lynn, Carol King. I mailed a box of records to her house in Ireland. Did she ever get them? Did she ever get to listen? I never knew. One of the most profound, moving songs I ever heard from Sinead herself wasn't from any of her albums or the tour I followed. 
One night, not long after I'd come back from reporting on her in Ireland, she sent me a text. She told me she'd written a song. She typed, can I share it with you? It was about her son, Shane. He was the only one I didn't meet. He was in the hospital when I came to Ireland. Shane looked just like his mother, down to the buzzed head and blue eyes. His struggles, she told me, made her feel a special connection to him. The song about Shane was a stunning ballad, structured like a classic country song. Sinead called it Horse on the Highway. Also, she wrote, explain it's a really demo with a karaoke mic and a child's guitar and a dictaphone app and a chest infection. The song is beautiful, I wrote her, stunning from the first line. I asked her if I could include it in the story. She was thrilled. At the time, she asked us not to say it was about Shane. In that moment, she was not speaking about him publicly because of what he was going through. I'm so happy, she wrote. You're an angel. Two years later, Shane took his own life. He was just 17, and now Sinead is gone. I want to share the song she wrote for him. I know it meant a lot to her. Last night I dreamed I was on fire The flames around felt oh so real to me And as they rose up higher and higher I heard your sweet voice calling out for me Like water Like water Just like, just like, just like a peaceful sea Like water like water That's what your shining presence is to me You're too young to be addicted as you are Running around like you've no mother or father And I'm old and I can't chase you anymore Down roads or under bridges or over walls Come home, come home, young one Put down the streets and come For they do not belong to you and paradise so sweet lies neath your mother's feet and I am not complete without you tonight I'll dream we are in heaven Sitting underneath that apple tree 
Not being at sixes or at sevens Just being with you, being with me Like water Like water Just like, just like just like a peaceful sea Like water Like water That's what your shining presence is to me That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced and mixed by Bishop Sand. It was edited by Monica Campbell and Renita Jablonski. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Martine Powers, Elahe Azadi, Monica Campbell, Eliza Dennis, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnik, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, Rennie Cernofsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, Robin Amer, and Renita Jablonski. Special thanks to Kent's Hill School for providing studio space. I'm Jeff Edgers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from the Washington Post.